church, I told you last week when Paul was talking in, in Corinthians, uh, Colossians chapter 3, when he was talking about the church gathering together, um, being dwelled with Christ's spirit, and then it says singing, singing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. So I'm, I'm grateful this morning. You guys are right because y'all are quiet this morning. <laughs> y'all are quiet, quiet, but it's, it's all good. Listen, the weather cleared up a little bit. We should be happy. We got some vitamin. Is it vitamin D that runs from the sun? Vitamin E, vitamin D, sorry. So we should be uh, E or D. Right. So anyway, so it's good to be here. Listen, I'm excited. I don't know about you guys, but every single uh, time we get together at the church, I'm always just overjoyed at the fact that we get together as a church body, um, diverse and not just diverse uh, ethnically, but diverse with economics, diverse, with generation. I mean, we have different generations in here, and, and it's just a, it's a testament of what the kingdom of the Lord will look like. I was thinking about Psalms 100, verse number four this morning, where it says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And, and, and you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, there, there are times where you walk into work and you may have an attitude, but when we walk into church, we should enter into his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. You know, our church is um, is passionate about corporate worship of Jesus Christ. He is the 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 hero. He's the goal. He's the reason why we gather. You know, we, we abruptly stopped the coffee. We had coffee and everything going on right here. Some of y'all came in hungry last week. I apologize. We abruptly stopped the coffee. But the goal of us gathering together is not bagels and coffee, but it's to to worship the centrality of Jesus Christ. And we do that in a few ways. Here. We do that through song, and so we want every song to point back to Jesus. We do that through the preach word. Every single text that we preach from, we want to preach on the goodness and the mercy and the grace found in the gospel message. Uh, and then we do communion every single week. It's just a way for us to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we are prone to forget. Uh, we're prone to forget, and so I am excited. Israel Holton said it best when he said, Jesus, be the center. Uh, and, and that's our, our goal as a church. We want him to be known. We want you to walk out and say, what was the pastor's name? I don't remember his name, but Jesus' name, I, I can remember that name. That, that's the goal of us gathering together. Listen, we are, I just want to reiterate some of the things that Gabe uh, announced, which is the youth meeting. If you are a youth or a teen, if you're trying to figure out, we'll talk about it today in the text as well. You're trying to figure out if I'm a youth, if you're still under the parental guidance of your parents, we would consider you a youth or, or a teen. Um, but that's not true. You could be 25 and still at home. <laughs> Teenagers. We want you guys to 19, up to 19. We want you guys to, we want you guys to hang out, hang out with us for a little bit. Um, and prayer walk next week. You guys, I mean, we would love if everybody just puts on you know, comfortable sneakers, let's walk the streets. It's a great way for us to stay connected to the needs of the community. The last thing we want to do is launch a church and then be ingrown. It's just about Sunday morning. Uh, if Sunday morning is what you're looking for, this church is, that's just not what we're about. We, we gather together on Sundays, uh, but the, the real ministry of our church takes place outside of these walls. And so we want to get out into the streets, get on, get up and down Halsey, all the way up to Putnam. And we just want to want to walk and pray for whatever comes to mind. All right, Colossians, the book of Colossians, we'll be in. We have been in, uh, if you're a first-time visitor, we've been in the book of Colossians for the last six months. Um, 
And it's been, it's been good. When I say we've been in Colossians, uh, I feel the need to always explain that. I literally mean verse by verse, line by line, starting with Colossians 1, going all the way through to the end of Colossians 4. Uh, just a way for us as a church to stay dialed into what the Lord is saying. You know, when we go through a book of the Bible, it, it doesn't give me wiggle room to preach what I want to preach. Uh, there, there are times, there are messages that I would completely skip over if it was not for us going through a book of the Bible. Even today's message, if I'm honest, was hitting me heavy this week, uh, particularly on fathers and how they interact with their, their children. Um, it was hitting me heavy. And so that's what I love about going through an entire book of the Bible. Going through a book of the Bible just doesn't give us that, that option to, to wiggle around. So we are in Colossians. We'll finish up all of Colossians by the end of April, starting May 1st, which I told you is my birthday. I'm just saying, you know, I don't know if you guys want to get <laughs> gifts or anything, but, you know, I wouldn't be angry. Let's just put it that way. Uh, starting May 1st, we're going to start on a series on the church. It's called The Bride of Christ. Many questions people have, what is a church? You know, and, and one of the things we wanted to do as a church was act like we didn't have any Americanized church experience. Let's get this Bible and sit down and see what this word says about the church. And whatever it says, that's what we want to do. And so we'll, um, we'll go through a series on, on the church, two-month series, all right, all of May all of June, we'll just answer the questions that you may have of what does the eldership look like? What does the deacon, uh, what does deacons look like? What is leadership within the church? Um, and even dig into some things that most of us may have, which is church hurt. Anybody have any type of church hurt? Anybody? A few people. So we'll deal with what is church hurt? What does that mean? How do I deal with church hurt? There is no hurt like church hurt. That's a deep, deep wound that uh that many people have and so we'll do that and then we'll do a series on prayer and then in uh the fall we will jump back into a book of the bible prayerfully an old testament book i'm fluctuating between nehemiah and jonah uh, but we'll dig into what the old testament says and the beauty is all of the scriptures point to jesus so we can go to the old testament and find jesus there as well but this morning we'll be in colossians colossians chapter Three is where we are. We will finish up all of Colossians, at least Colossians 3 today. We're going to be talking about a Christian household. That's where the text is leading us this morning. Before I even read, before I even announce where we're going as far as theme, before I even pray, let's just put it all, let's put our cards on the table. All of us in here have some type of dysfunction as it comes to family. Everybody, I don't care if you're like, no, not me. Every single one of us have some type of dysfunction as I don't know if it's a wife and a husband, maybe it's a, a father and a child, a mother and a child, maybe it's distant relatives, but all of us have baggage that we're bringing in here called family dysfunction. And this morning, I, I pray that we would not hide it. Let's put it out there. Uh, and Paul deals with it this morning. Let me read and then, uh, and then pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 18 is where we'll start. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. I'm reading from ESV. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, 
but with sincerity, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. Ask for the Lord, not for men. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse number 1. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. I want to preach from the topic entitled, A Christian Household. A Christian Household. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, this morning we gather uh, to be nurtured by your word. Uh, th there's no other reason for us to gather. We would not have got up and got the kids uh, ready, ran out the house. We would have considered this another day to, to sit at home and relax if we're not going to dig into your word. Let us move away from opinion, move away from fluff, but let us get into the meat of the word, which uh, is able to save our souls. Pray again this morning that Jesus would be glorified. Would you help me to be faithful to your text? Grant me physical strength this morning as we walk through your word. Thank you for your word. This word that we govern our entire lives by. Many of us have submitted to trying to obey exactly what your word says. Father, speak to us this morning. If you don't speak to us out of what you've already spoken in your word, we, ha we will be lost. We'll have no clue what to do. But, Father, would you use this time to glorify yourself? It's in Christ's name we give glory. Amen. A Christian household, a Christian household. Years ago, I had a, a friend of mine that was, we used to have, I mean, really, really deep theological conversations. We talk about everything. We talk about the gospel, the role of suffering and sanctification. We talk about substitutionary atonement, church government, we, predestination. We talk about all these, what you would consider lofty theological themes. Uh, and, and I'd always walk away from those conversations saying to myself, man, this dude has a, has a tight walk with the Lord. Like he has a great understanding of the Bible and a, and a real great understanding of how to apply it. It wasn't until years later that I found out uh, that he was one way in our conversations, but at home he was a completely different way. In fact, I found out that he was having an affair with his wife, uh, uh, on his wife. He was, uh, I mean, abusive with his, verbal, verbally abusive with his wife. Found out all these things, and I realized that our conversations from that point on switched from these deep theological concepts to some practical. What he needed in that moment was Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3. Husbands, love your wives. He didn't need to talk about total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace. He didn't need these deep thoughts. What he needed was a simple, practical word. And in your search for deep truths in the scriptures, and maybe you're diving in hard, maybe you're running through, I don't know, maybe you're running through entire books in, in one day or one week, maybe that's you and you're just hungry, hungry, I, I ask you not to run through the scriptures looking for deep concepts, but also look for the practical new nuggets that Paul gives us and the rest of the writers give us. In our passage this morning, we will see Paul do something amazing. Paul does not give us high, lofty theology this morning. He gives us practical nuggets for the house. Now, this is interesting. Why is this interesting? Because I've told you guys Paul wrote this letter to the Colossian church only to refute the bad theology that was there, right? Gnostic, Gnosticism was what was taught in this town. So they're teaching, Gnostic literally means to know. They're teaching that you, Jesus is a great starting place. Start there. 
But you need more wisdom. You need more knowledge in order to gain a deeper relationship with the Lord. In order to be saved, you need deeper wisdom. Paul doesn't refute the arguments that they are making by giving deep theology. He goes to practical ways that the household can trust Jesus. It's interesting that Paul does that. And this morning, I pray that we wouldn't check out from that. Paul is not going deep this morning. In fact, and, and let's not think that Paul can't. If you look at places like 2 Peter 3.16, where even Peter, now you know the Bible is hard to understand when the Bible says it's hard to understand. Even Peter says there are some things that Paul writes that are difficult to understand. Even Peter says that. And so you may be in here like, man, I don't understand the Bible. Well, Peter didn't either. And, and so Paul doesn't, he, he doesn't go deep this morning, though. He's extremely practical. This morning we have three sets of exhortations, three of them. Verses 18 and 19, he challenges or gives an exhortation to wives and husbands. Verse 20 and 21, he gives a challenge to parents and children. And then verses 22 to 25, and then chapter 4, verse number 1, he gives a call to bond servants or servants and masters or slaves and masters. We have to do some work when we get there, so uh, we're not taking our 21st century mind of slavery into the text. It's completely different, and I'll, we'll walk through what that is. And so he gives us three sets of exhortations, wives, husbands, children's par children, parents, and bond servants and masters. Let's walk through each one of these. Verse 18, Paul says in verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. This domestic call for wives to submit to their husbands would have been radical I would even argue that in today's society, in today's culture, this is still radical. Telling a wife to submit to her husband, I'm a, you know, the theologian Beyonce said, I'm an independent woman. <laughs> I, I don't have to submit to no man. We have a woman running for president. She has a good shot at winning the presidency. There's no reason that I have to submit to a husband. And, and so Paul deals with it this morning, but he does it in a great way. He does it by not demeaning the woman. He says, wives, submit to your husband. And let, let me say, before we even walk through what, submit, what submission is, let me secure you ladies in your value and love that the, the Lord loves you. And let me explain. When we stand before the Lord, this text isn't ar arguing spiritual equality, uh, that you're not spiritually equal, uh, equal to a man. In other words, when we all stand before the Lord, a husband stands before the Lord, a wife stands before the Lord, None of us stand before the Lord, and he says, man, based on gender, I love the man more than I love the woman. He sees his blood. He sees Jesus Christ. If you've trusted him, if you've trusted him, he sees Jesus Christ. We're both equal. But can we be honest that we're distinct? We're different. Men don't use the bathroom the way women use the bathroom. Men don't have, can't be pregnant. We can't go through pregnancies. So there is a distinction... <laughs> There's a distinction between men and between women. And so this isn't equality. So even with the, even with the Trinity, you look at the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're equal. They're, they're all God. They're all equal. However, they're distinct. The Father did not die on the cross. The Son did. The Holy Spirit isn't, he's not in tug of war with the Father trying to take his position. They all understand, listen, I'm secure. I know who I am I don't have to play a part that I'm not. And so what Paul deals with this morning is he deals with 
your, our, our distinctiveness. In fact, the last three words of chapter, of verse number 18 says, in the Lord. Women, you are in the Lord. And so submission is not degrading for you. This is not a sexist comment that Paul is giving us. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Let's talk about su- submission now. Submission, there, there's, a, there's a few ways in life that you look like Christ, right? One of them is through submission. Ladies, there's nothing more Christ-likeness than submission. Why? Because even Jesus Christ, who Colossians 1 says, in Christ, all things hold together. Jesus Christ, who holds everything together, was fully submitted to the Father. And so when we say submission, this, this is a call for you to look more like Jesus. When he says, when he says wives, Submit. So this isn't a dirty word that our culture pushes out. John 5, verse number 30 says, I can do nothing on my own. This is what Jesus says. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Here's why his judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but I seek the one of him who sent me. Who sent him? His father sent him. And so Jesus was submitted. He also says when he was in the garden in Luke chapter 22, verse number 42, he says, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass. But then what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. So Jesus was submitted. Wives, when we say submit to your husbands, it's a call to look like Jesus. Because Jesus was fully 100% submitted to the Lord. And this word submit, submit the, the Greek word for it is hupotasso. It, it, it does, it's a continuing verb. So it doesn't mean submit when you get married. Submit at one time. But it means your life should be patterned after a life full of submission. And I'll show, I'll show you in the next verse why it's easy to submit. Now, one, one of the things that many ladies will try to do, and I don't know if that's you in here, is say, man, it's 2016. It, it's no reason why I should still be submitting. Why do I, this was cultural, right? Paul, this was a different time. The problem with that argument is we only do that with the Bible. None of us say the Constitution was written In 1787, it's outdated, so I don't have to submit to it. Try not to submit to the Constitution. You will end up in federal prison. Try to, I mean, go out and try to, there's no law that can pass the president's desk that can go through Congress that is around the Constitution. It is supreme law, written in a different culture, a different time, yet all of us in this room submit to the Constitution. But when it comes to the Bible, we're like, ah, it's outdated, it's 2016. The problem with that argument, if verse 18 is outdated where it says wives submit to your husband, then I can argue that verse 19 is outdated. Husbands love your wife. So I don't have to love her. It's 2016. Let me go a step further. Ephesians chapter 5 says husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. So if this is outdated, then Christ doesn't have to love the church anymore. It's 2016. Why do we have to? Why do we? We don't have to submit to this. Times have changed. Women make more than men in New York. I don't know if you know that. Women make more money than men in New York. I don't have to submit to him. I bring in cheddar now. I bring in the the money. Why do I have... That's such an old word. I have no clue. I have no clue where that came from. That just popped out of nowhere. And and so Paul says... Y'all got to come back. Paul says, submit to your husbands. Submit to your husbands. In fact, he goes on to say 
in Ephesians 5, which I just quoted, he says, submit to your own husbands. So in other words, don't submit to that imaginary husband. Don't submit to somebody else's husband. I'm told of a story of, of a lady that her husband was missing. She goes down to the precinct to tell the police officer to describe, to give him a description of what her husband looks like. She's like, he's 6'2", he's tall, dark, and he's handsome, and he's 29. And he's like, man, I know your husband. He's short, he's fat, and he's not that cute. And she says, she replies, well, I don't want him. I might as well submit to somebody else. In other words, women, don't submit to somebody that's not your husband. The Lord gave you a husband. Don't try to change him into somebody else. Submit to the one that you walked down the aisle and, and said, I do to. Submit to that one. Submit to the one that put a ring on it. Submit to that one. That's the one we're called to submit to. And so this, this call to submit, again, is not, is not a bad thing. Let me show you why. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. I will argue that it's easy for a woman to submit when the husband loves his wife, when he genuinely, genuinely, deeply loves his wife. I, I quoted Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 22, uh, where it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. The question on the table is, how did Christ love the church? Sacrificially. He loved the church so much that he went and died for it. And so women will submit, wives will submit to a husband when the husband is sacrificially loving his wife. Sac like, you'll die for her. There's not even a, a split second that if, if we are in danger and there's a choice between Ty living and me living, I guarantee you I'm out. In a, in a heartbeat, I don't have to think about that. Let me get a little bit more practical on this sacrificial love. If you are... You have two cars, one of them breaks down, and one of you have to take the bus to work or the train to work or walk to work. Fellas, we're walking to work that week. Or maybe you don't have enough money for both of you to eat lunch all week. Who's fasting that week? The husband. Men, we are to love our wives. Not just love them, but we are to sacrificially love them. Notice that, that this isn't past tense. It doesn't say loved. It says love your wife. Present tense, right now. And if you're single in here and you're trying to, maybe you're dating somebody, you're trying to figure out if this is the one. If he's not sacrificial, do not walk down the aisle. It's that your life will be in turmoil if you marry someone that just likes you, thinks you're cute. No, we need to marry the one that is sacrificial, will lay down his life, will lay down his life for us. Let's keep going. No, notice something before I move on. Did you see how in the exhortations, Paul doesn't deal with the husband first. He dealt with the wife first. Now, now let, me, let me explain. I asked Ty earlier this week when I was reading through those two verses. I said, Ty, why do you think that Paul dealt with her? And she was like, well, that's easy. Women listen quicker than men. <laughs> she, she might be right. I think she's right. But, but I, think, I think the reason why Paul gave the exhortation to the woman first because he knows how important in a family dynamic, how important the wife is. Like she literally holds all of it together. She holds all of it down. So yeah, men, you may be the head, but women are like the neck. The head turns with the neck. That's what the wife is. She influences the husband. She has influence over the kids. And, and 
speaking of this influence, let, I mean, let's just talk about it for a second. Like, if you know you have that type of influence, women, you have to be careful how you steer your man. Because one slight comment can completely change him off course. Last thing I want to say be, before we move on to parents and children, I hate that I even have to bring this up, but I think in our, the culture in which we live in, we have to. The scripture says wives. I looked up the Greek meaning, and it's woman. So what am I saying? When it says wives, it's not talking about a man. Do you get where I'm going? Now, I'm not home. This is not homophobic. This is not bashing on homosexuals. In fact, there are many homosexuals I'm in relationship with right now. But I promise you, I hold them at the same standard that I will hold a heterosexual that's in sin. There's no, there's this, you're the same sin. It's not like the Lord, when you stand before him, he's like, ah, well, you're a homosexual and you're a heterosexual sinner, so You'll, you'll be placed in a, in a deeper part. You'll be placed in the dungeon part of hell, and you'll get a, that's not what it is. All of it is sin. And so when it says wives, I just want to clarify that it's talking about, it's talking about women. Love your wives, fellas. Before I move on, the last thing I want to say about loving your wife, love for your wife has to go deeper than just loving her when things are going well. You have to love your wife even when things aren't going well. You, you know, the only prophet in all of the Old Testament to be told to marry a prostitute was the prophet Hosea. Y'all know that story? Prophet Hosea, some of you may know it. With, let, me, in fact, let me just turn to it real quick. I'm not going to read the whole story. But in, in, the pro, in the book of Hosea, God tells the prophet because he wants to show Israel, he wants to show them their unfaithfulness. And he does something crazy. He tells a prophet to marry a prostitute. Look at what it says. Verse number two in, in chapter one of Hosea, it says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children with her. For the land, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. In other words, the Lord wanted Hosea to marry a prostitute to show how unfaithful Israel was to him. Now that's easy. Right. So let me tell you why that's easy. I can marry a prostitute and then be disconnected. Like, go do your thing. I still was obedient because I was told to marry her. The hard part is chapter three, verse number one. And the Lord said, go again, love a woman that is loved by another man. The hard part of the call to the prophet was not to marry her, but it was to love her. He was called to love a prostitute. What am I saying? Men, I don't care what spiritual state your wife is in. You are still called to love her. We're not called to disconnect at all. Back to Colossians. Colossians 20. Now, he moves from wives and husbands to children. Children, obey your parents and everything, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Now, when I first read this, I thought that obey and submit was the same. They're not the same. Why? Because submission is a, is a willing act. It's a willing act on the wife to submit to her husband. Obey is a command. So children, this isn't you have a suggestion, this is a good idea. No, this is a command. And, and when I searched through all of scriptures to try to find out where else God made an exhortation to children, over and over again, the only thing I found was this one, obey your parents. In fact, if you look in, look in the, the Ten Commandments, the fifth commandment is honor your mother and father. 
One of the signs of the tribulation in Revelations will be that children will disobey their fathers, disobey their mothers. And so this isn't a, a cute idea for kids. It's No, it's a command. In fact, it goes on. The, the way it should read, according to the original language, doesn't just say obey. It should say, it should say uh, children obey and listen. Because the obedience here, listening is a part of that. Listening always start is the start of obedience. Now, there's a couple ways that you can get your child to obey, right? You can get them to obey and lose the spirit of that kid. I used to have a dog, and um, I hate to make a comparison between children and dogs, but that's the best I got this morning. <laughs> I, 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 had a, I had a dog. Uh, it was a Rottweiler, Rockweiler, um, and... Um, you know, training the dog, first of all, that brings out a whole nother level of spiritual sanctification. I mean, it just does. And within this relationship that I have with this dog, I'm like, man, I have to train. It was a puppy. I have to train him. He's, he's going to the bathroom in the house. You know, he doesn't sit when I say sit. So I have to train this dog. And so I went to a neighbor who has a dog, and he said, man, here, there's two ways you can train the dog. You can do it in a positive way, and it takes longer. So the positive way is treats, right? Tell the dog to sit. You give him a you give him a treat. You, he doesn't use the bathroom in the house. You give him a treat. You know, you're walking, and you say stop, and he stops. You give him a treat, and you, you give him affection, and you love him. That's a longer process to obedience. The quicker process is beat the dog into obedience, right? You walk the dog. He doesn't stop. You yank his neck, you know, and, and, and I'm not, this is not saying go that route. I'm just saying, you know, you, 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 uh, the dog doesn't sit. You slap him in the head. You will get obedience that way. The problem is you'll lose the spirit of the dog. And so fathers, when it says, when it talks about, it talks about obedience and it talks about fathers not provoking your children, the thing we must do is not try to get obedience at the cost of the spirit of the son. In fact, in verse number 21, when it says fathers, when it says fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become obedient, uh, disobedient or discouraged. The thing that I found interesting about this is the call to a father to not to provoke his child. The Lord has in mind the child's personal welfare. It has in mind his, his disposition, his, his character is what it has in mind. And so it's just, it's, this is just not, wow. <laughs> this is not just, um, get, man, don't provoke your child and get them to be obedient. No, this, these verses are connected. It's saying, man, don't provoke your child. To, don't be, irritate them. I asked my son last night. I was like, man, what, what are some things that I do to irritate you? Because I know that I'm not doing well at this verse. What are some ways? And, and some of the things uh, that I found out are, are extremely interesting. Let me read some of them. Favoritism. Right? I like this child more than I like that child. It's provoking your children. Overprotection, depreciate his worth. You're not like, man, you are just like your father. Your father's not, the father's not in the life, but you would tell the, the child, you're just like your father. Discouragement, no affections. I have, I have a hard time with affections. I will say I love you, but it's hard for me to show it. So I have to be intentional. Fathers, we have to do that. Show affection, criticism, neglect, overdiscipline. Comparing them, you're not like your friends. You should be like your friends. Your friends get all A's. You should get all A's too. These are, these are very dangerous ways. 
And so father, fathers, don't, let's not provoke our children. Children, let's obey our parents. Obey exactly what they're saying now. I know children, t- kids in the here, teens or whatever you are, I know that that's hard because you think your parent doesn't know what they're doing. I, I was the same way. But let me tell you something. When parents, they know what they're talking about. There are some things that my parents taught me that still today I can remember the smell of the house when they taught me the lesson. To today I still remember it. There was one incident I had where, you know, before we had cell phones, we had beepers. You know, and I thought I was cool because I had a beeper. And I beeped this young lady. You know, we we had landlines, so she had to call the house. My mother picks up the phone. Hello, who is this? This is so-and-so. I'm gonna, can I talk to Brandon? She puts me on the phone. I'm on the phone like, what's up, baby? <laughs> what's going on? You know, I'm ta- trying to talk smooth, right? Hang up the phone. A few seconds later, I beep another female. My mother picks up the phone again. She says, he'll call you right back. And she wears me out. I'm not raising an unfaithful man in this house. You better, only one girl can call this house at a time. <laughs> that sticks with you. So even to today, when it comes to faithfulness to one woman, it was a lesson that I learned. Children, obey. Listen to your parents. They know what they're talking about. Although they may not know, you may think they're corny. You know, they got the shirts tucked in, especially the older ones. You know, we may think they're corny, but they know what they're talking about. And so fathers, let's not provoke our children either. Let's not provoke them. If they're going to obey, let's at least not provoke them. If they're going to listen, let's at least not irritate them. Let's try our best to have the emotional state of the child in mind, just like the Lord has the emotional state of the child in mind. All right, let's keep going. Verse number 20, verse number 22. Now, before we get into verse 22, let, let me, in 22 goes all the way to, uh, to chapter 4, verse 1. It's all the same, it's like a run-on sentence, it's all the same thought that Paul is making. As he talks about bond servants or slaves and masters, like I said before, let's not take 21st century eyes, right, recent slavery, and pour that into the text. In Rome, slavery was completely different. You literally could put yourself into slavery and get yourself out of slavery. In fact, slaves in Rome, which made up one-third of the population, slaves in Rome many times had it better off than free men. Many slaves were doctors and lawyers and physicians. So slavery was completely different. As an African-American, if I read this text, I could be saying, man, the scriptures are condoning slavery. Not only condoning, but it's telling the slave master how to interact with his slave. And so if we read it that way, we'll completely miss what Paul is talking about. Paul is not talking about slavery as we know it. What he's really showing us, if there's any comparison, the comparison is between an employee and an employer. That's a better comparison for this, for this passage. And Paul deals with, I mean, over and over again. In fact, we have a whole book, the book of Philemon, at the end of, uh, almost at the end of, uh, of, uh, of the New Testament. The whole book is one chapter, is all about slaves and, and, its, uh, and its masters. And so when we get to talking about this, let's please take off your mind what you think about slavery. Think about your job. Think about your boss. That's what I want you to think about today. This is what he says. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service 
as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for wrongdoers will be paid back for, their wrong, for the wrong that they have done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, masters treat, masters are employers, treat your bondservants justly or fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. I love the fact that as Paul talks about the Christian household, he brings in employee-employer relationships, your work relationships, particularly because that's a big part of our household. I mean, think about many of your discussions during the week with a husband and a wife. It's about what happened at work. Slaves would have lived with their masters in this time. And so Paul is going to dig deep. What he's saying is when he says in verse number 20, when he says in verse number 22, obey your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service. In other words, he's saying, don't do a good job when the boss is looking. But when he's not looking, you're on Bejeweled and Drop 7 and Angry Birds. You're on Fantasy Football League. Ladies, y'all are watching videos on natural hair care products. I know y'all do it. <laughs> My wife will sit and watch a video that I'm I, like, I'll sit and watch her in amazement. Like, dad, she's into that. Did you know some of the young ladies here told me some of the young ladies here told me, did you know that you literally can be famous now off having nice curls? Yes. All right. I hear y'all. Y'all ain't say amen. No time. But I talk about natural hair. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. I see. So Paul deals with it, though. Paul says, don't do a good job. Have integrity at work. Don't do a good job when the boss is looking. Like, some of us kill the opportunity to share the gospel message with somebody because they know that you're late to work, you have no integrity at work, you've cheated on your taxes, you've claimed kids that aren't yours. They know it. Your coworkers know it, but you want to go talk to them about them being redeemed in the blood of Jesus. How does that work? You kill an opportunity for the gospel simply because you're lazy, because you can't get to work on time. And so you want to talk to them about redemption, and they want to talk to you about why you were written up. Paul deals with it. See, how, see, see, when it comes to opportunities for the gospel, our prayer in this room should be, Lord, give me any opportunity I can to share the gospel. If we care about lost people meeting Jesus, we have to care about things like how we operate at work. We have to care about that. Some of us in here have been written up three or four times. We know the system. Christians don't milk the clock. Christians should be the hardest workers. Why? Because, you know, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 says, only let your manner of life be counted worthy of the gospel. Your life should reflect the gospel. You should have opportunities to share the gospel purely based on they should be intrigued. Man, this guy works hard. Let me find out what's up with him. This young lady is serious about her. Man, her performance is amazing. Let me find out more about her. And then that's an opportunity through a relationship. See, in New York, you just can't walk up on somebody and share the gospel. You could try. You might get hurt. Here we have to build relationships. I talked about that when I talked about missional living. We want to be, we want to, like, do your coworkers even know that you're a Christian? Do they know that you believe in Jesus? 
And I'm not, do they know it even though you haven't shared that with them yet? Do they know by your conduct, how you interact, how you respond to hardship, how you respond to gossip at work? See, many of us just join right in the conversation. Who, who are you talking about? Man, girl, I seen her the other day. See, we join right in the conversation instead of disconnecting ourselves so that we can have opportunities for the gospel. Don't kill an opportunity for the gospel at work. Paul deals with it. He says, man, not by the way of eye service. Don't, don't have integrity at work. Now, I know some of you have hard bosses, right? You may have that boss that gets on your nerves, literally can, can change your attitude when you see that person. Maybe some of you are that boss that people see you and like, oh, man, instant attitude. Look at what Paul says in verse number 23. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord, not for men. Your work at, at your job should be reflected not based on the employer that you work for, but based on his employer, God. Our work should be, so. and that, this doesn't just talk about, this is, he's not talking about working at church. He's talking about bond servants. And he's talking about slaves. He's talking about masters. He's talking about employer, employee. When he's talking about this, he's talking about your conduct at work. So, so some of us have to, we really need to, we need to reflect on how we operate at work. Are you, are you known for the one that's going to bring the scandal, going to bring the conversation? Can't wait for her to get to work because I know she know. <laughs> I know she know. I'm going to find out when I get there. Anyway, chapter four. So that's an employee. But if you own a business in here, if you have employees, verse number one in chapter four deals with you as well. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Don't squeeze all of the work you can out of them for the, for the least amount of money you can out of them. Treat them fairly. How you treat your employees is a good representation of what type of integrity you have. If you can cut corners on them, do you do it? And so Paul, in our text this morning, completely dealt with domestic, the house. How we operate at home. He gave six exhortations, three of them, really, but wives, husbands, children's fathers. Notice he didn't talk about mothers, by the way. When he gave an exhortation to parenting, he gave it to fathers. It's almost like he knows that the woman kills the job of parenting, but the husband needs work. So he gave wives, husbands, children's fathers, which really represents mothers as well. Employees, employers, or bondservants and slaves. All of our life, if we're serious about the centrality of Jesus Christ, all of our lives should reflect that, including how you operate at work. And so I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you when you go back home. And now I know you may be coming in here with some hard situations. Maybe you're coming in here and I explained this and it's like, well, you don't know my personal situation. The husband I'm trying to submit to doesn't even know the Lord. Do I submit when he doesn't know the Lord? Maybe you're coming in here and your, your marriage is on the rocks or your, your child is wayward. You can't seem to have a relationship with your child. You have a dysfunctional work life. Maybe that's you coming in here. You have a clean slate this morning. You have an opportunity to go back to that child and repent. You have an opportunity to go to that wife and repent. 
not just an opportunity, you have an obligation to do it. If we're serious about the word, we can't pick and choose what part we want to apply. Paul dealt with us this morning. He dealt with us this morning. And if you, if you do have a husband, I don't know why I'm staying here, but if you do have a husband that you're like, I can't submit to him. He, he doesn't know the Lord. He asked me to do things that, that compromise Christianity. Do what Paul says in Acts chapter, or Peter says in Acts chapter 5. Should we obey God or should we obey man? But I'll go so far as to say, get help. Get counseling. Get somebody else involved. And so all of us in here, may try to check out this morning, but at some point, something that Paul has said should have impacted the way you operate, should impact the way you do life. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we are, we're confessing our need for you this morning, confessing that we are, um, we don't do this well. Many of us need work on how we parent. Many of us need work on how we operate as a husband or as a wife. Many of us need help on, even, even the, the teens in here, we need help on being obedient to our parents. It's easy for us to disconnect and say, man, they don't, they don't know, they don't understand my struggle. Maybe there's a wife in here that is having a hard time in her house or, or, a, or a husband that's having a hard time connecting with his wife loving his wife like you loved us. Father, you loved us so much that you sent Jesus Christ to die for us. Like that should rock us. We never should hear that and say that's common. But we hear that and we try to run to the cross, which is where we find complete redemption. Lord, in order to do any of this practical stuff that Paul talked about, we must first understand our position in you. Understand that in Christ, the iniquities of us all were placed on him. And through that, we have salvation. That and that alone, in Christ, salvation is through faith alone, by grace alone, in Jesus Christ alone. I pray that this morning that Christ would impact how we operate at home. Let us not be one way in church like my friend. One way in conversations, but a whole nother way at home. Let us repent this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we prepare for communion, this is an important aspect of our, our worship. Those who are serving, please, please come up. It's an important aspect of our, of our worship service. We do this every single week. There's not a week that goes by that we don't do communion. Like I said before, we do this because we're so prone to forget the gospel. We're so prone to almost make it common. But through this, through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, we have new life. If you're in here and you don't know Jesus, we pray that the gospel message would be more attractive than what's in this plastic. We pray that the gospel message would impact your life. There is no hope outside of Jesus Christ. He's not the better of 10 options. He's our only option. He's our only hope. And I pray that this morning you would submit your life to him. And if you're not a believer, we ask that you would let this pass. But I say it every week. We ask that you would let this pass, but take Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, I'll be around afterwards. 
any of these folk up here will be around, talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. The only hope for all of us. This passage.